The following podcast on the Your Own Pay Podcast Network will contain adult content. Listener discretion is advised. More information about this episode can be found at yourownpay.com. It's Demasi and Michael, just talking tech. Man, look, so I got a problem with this Google Fi. <laughs> so for a little history, you're using Google Fi on the iPhone, right? Yeah, so to kind of walk through this, and actually I'll, I'll get to my problems with it in a sec, but let me kind of tell people what's going on and why I am doing such a thing in the first place. So starting with the iPhone ten. S series, which also was the 10S, 10X Max, and the 10R also came out that same year. So all of those phones going forward, uh, iPhones, have the ability to do eSIM as well as a physical SIM. So I recently, I think we've been over this in, in previous shows, but you know, just quick recap, upgraded to you to a 12 Pro Max, which is still a big ass phone. And the camera on the back is weird because it looks like mm. bug eyes. I don't know. but So I took her 10R instead of upgrading me to a, to a newer phone. I just took her 10R that she already had because it would upgrade me from an 8 and so on. So it occurred to me a couple of days. Actually, I was looking in there to get the information out of the phone, the IEMI, the IMEI number and all that stuff out of the 10R. And I saw mm-hmm. the eSIM and the eSIM has a different IMEI number. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I got eSIM now. <laughs> huh. So I think I want to try this out. Let me see who has eSIM support that I can just quickly throw on a second phone number. Mm-hmm. Because for years, for, for years, and I'm pretty sure a lot of other people like us who have been mostly kind of freelancers or do freelance type work or run their own business, that the Holy Grail is an affordable yet reliable second phone number for a person who runs their own business that doesn't, you know, have the whole big, you know, corporate infrastructure with all that, all that. And there's been plenty of services around the years. I've used line two in the past, uh, for the longest time. Yeah. I was going to say for the longest time, I've just settled on Google voice because it works. Like it is not as seamless as I would like it to be. In some cases, it's gotten better over the years, but uh, Google voice has been kind of my stand in. So I was like, well, Oh yeah, I forgot about the whole eSIM thing. And for me, my thought when I first heard about eSIM coming to the iPhone, it's been on Android for a while. Let me say that before we get feedback from people telling us, well, you know, Android has had this since 1992. I know, I know, I know. But Apple getting it meant that I could now, you know, do it with the iPhone. And my first thought when they first introduced it was, hey, this would be a cool way to actually get a second line of service. Oftentimes it's not nearly as expensive as your primary cell phone number, because at least for me, from my perspective, I just need the ability to make phone calls. Like I don't I don't really need text messaging. I certainly don't need a second data, you know, package or anything like that. So I did a little research some very rough research uh, very quickly and to find out who had eSIM support. None of the MVNOs that I know of that I went to check had eSIM support. Hmm. Uh, so that would include Ting, uh, Mint Mobile, and I think I even looked at Ver- not Verizon, uh, Xfinity's uh-huh. mobile service, which is powered by Verizon. Uh, neither one of the three of those seemed to have eSIM support. So I said, well, I know Google Fi has eSIM support because I had it set up on a Pixel at one point in time. 
So I will go check out Google Fi just to get a feel for how this works. And so the setup process for Google Fi with eSIM on iOS was pretty straightforward. Uh, I can't really say that there were any problems. You basically scan a Q. I mean, the way that I did it anyway, I just scanned a QR code. After going through the, the obligatory setting up the account, getting your phone number, all that stuff, I set it up by scanning a QR code using the settings app on the phone. So you go to settings, phone, add new plan, and then you scan a SIM uh, QR code. And that activated the eSIM. There's a little bit, a couple of extra steps that Google, I'm not sure if anybody else would necessarily take you through these or not adding a, a, adding a eSIM uh, service to your phone. But Google gave me a couple of instructions to set up text messaging, some things I needed to type in up under the phone settings for Google Fi service to get text messages working. So I did that mostly because it would check off the boxes. So I got it set up and... The first thing I noticed is that Apple or the iPhone settings, at least, are pretty, you know, configurable. So you can select which one you want to be your default line. You can name the separate lines that you want to use. You know, so you got two lines. I got T-Mobile and now Google Fi service, which is, you know, using T-Mobile's network, which mm. is weird. But you can select which one you want to be your 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 default number that phone calls are sent from when you call out uh, from the phone app or anywhere else in iOS. Uh, I obviously selected the T-Mobile number because it would be weird if I tried to call Mike and he's like, what the hell is that number? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I would be used to it because, you know, I've done the same thing to you before. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and, and I think you still have my old Google Fi number. Somewhere in your contacts. Possibly. It is, it is possible. I might have finally got around to deleting it. But yeah, there was yeah. a point in time where I didn't know if I was calling Mike or I wasn't calling Mike. Especially if I didn't <laughs> get an answer. Like, I don't I don't know if I called Mike or not. Like, I might have been calling somebody else now. Now you know because my phone doesn't ring. Uh, yeah, this is true. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not ringing. But it looks like it's connected. Okay, I am actually calling Mike for real this time. So... Setup is pretty straightforward. You can select the default. Uh, it's pretty easy to switch. So I've tested this a little bit inside the phone app, just making a direct, you know, dial a number phone call. You can pick uh, which number you want it to go out from. I haven't really played around with contacts. I might actually do that with you later on this week, Mike, is, is see like, okay, I have Mike's information. How do I pick the fact that I want to use the second line versus the primary line uh, calling out? The interesting thing that happened that I really did not expect was that the text messages to the Google Fi number are directly integrated right into the messages app. I thought I was going to weirdly like go into the Google Fi app to check text mm. or something. I don't, I don't, I didn't really have any thoughts about it, honestly, because I didn't think I'd be getting any text messages. Unfortunately, I am getting a ton of text messages. Uh. Now we get to my problem with the service. Apparently, somebody had this number. I don't know if they had it up under Google Fi or up under a different service, but the number that I was issued by Google Fi apparently belonged to someone fairly recently, I, I, I would guess, uh, uh. because I'm getting a ton of phone calls, and apparently this person needed some money because all of the text messages I'm getting are going to, hey, Kayla, Keela, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, whatever her name is, like, hey, we've got your money for you, or click here to, to you know, finish your application for your money. And it's like, oh my god, my basically my text message receiving has, I would say, like, I don't know, went up by like five hundred percent since wow. I set this up. Wow. Um, 
Like it, it is uh, same with phone calls. Like it, it is, I am just getting just random phone calls, uh, just just all over the place, and I don't answer them because I don't recognize the number, uh, and I don't have very many two hundred five numbers that would be calling me anyway, uh, which is the area code for uh, the part of Alabama that I'm in. I don't have very many numbers that would call me from there. Most of those numbers are already stored in my phone. Uh-huh. So you know, if the school is calling, like you know, they're in the phone. So with Phi, can you change your phone number? Uh, you can change your number. I think it's. I, I haven't looked into that yet because I'm most likely really not going to keep the service that long. I just wanted to try it out to see what the experience would be like uh, having two lines on one phone in, in in a you know manner such as this. A couple of other cool things that that work is so it doesn't tell you where the text message came from. At least I I don't know. You know what? I don't even open them. I just you know hit edit after yeah. about 20 of them come in and then just select all of them and hit delete uh but when a phone call is actively coming in you see the the number or name of the person that's calling and you also see which line it happens to be coming in on, ah. uh, which is helpful right because it just ties back to the whole i want a business line that works like a phone like i just want to use it that is cool I am going to spend a little bit more time with it before I probably counsel it to kind of play around with, hey, is there a way to set default call options for specific numbers or specific contacts, mm-hmm. which would be interesting uh, if that works. But it's been a pretty good experience other than just a, a random spam. Uh, other than the <laughs> spam, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. And it integrates a lot better than with Google Voice. Yeah, yeah, way better than with Google. So Google Voice has improved to the point that, like, you know, you can set up the Google Voice app if you already have a voice number or get a voice number. You can set it up so that it doesn't forward calls directly to your phone number, uh, but it just rings using, uh, you know, VOIP. Yep. Yeah, so it it works, and those calls still get integrated into your uh, from Google Voice still get integrated into your your call history. Uh, but everything is being handled as if, you know, just over the Internet as a VoIP call uh, through the app, which is cool. And there's also ways to, to you know, select it as the outgoing call option when you're calling out. So it's gotten a whole lot better than it used to be, but it's still not as integrated, you know, as something like, you know, having an eSIM and a physical SIM both activated at the same time. Like this is, yeah. is seamless. Like I don't have to think about it, really. If someone calls me from, you know, calls to Google Five number and I want to return that call, I just tap it. You know, texting them, I don't have to go open up a whole second app. It's like all in in, in the messages app, which means they also show up on my Mac, which is, you know, now annoying now, but, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, the only thing that's a little, like I said, the only thing for me that was disappointing is the fact that it doesn't appear that a lot of the MVNOs are offering eSIM. Uh, now, obviously, I could take the route of activating my main line of service with T-Mobile on eSIM and then getting a physical SIM for an MV, MVNO like Ting, uh, which is, you know, probably would cost me less than 10 bucks a month because all I want is just phone calls, uh, the ability mm-hmm. to make phone calls. I don't even care about the text messages, honestly. So no data or anything like that. And that that's a route to take if I decide this is something I actually want to pursue long term, other than it just being a, hey, this is cool. Let's see how it works type of deal. You would think that eSIM support would be more prevalent with MVNOs because of the fact that, and this is my opinion, I am not a network admin, so I don't know for sure, but you're saving the, I guess they mostly charge you for the SIM cards, but you're saving the cost of not having to send members the SIM cards. I'm sorry. 
Man, I've been working for Peloton for a while. You're saving the cost of not having to send customers the SIM cards, and you are saving the cost of or the headache of having to activate them using a SIM card. Maybe you sent someone the wrong type of card with eSIM. You just activate it. Now, again, I don't work for the infrastructure part of these MVNOs, but I would assume that that would be cheaper. So, so very good the, finding. So what I've discovered, and I think it was on Ting's, it was either Ting or Mint Mobile's uh, forums, but I can't remember which one it was, but one of the two of those, uh, the, the issue seemed to not be their lack of desire to want to go to ESAM is that the carriers that they are purchasing mm. service from are like, they have to sign. There has to be a lot of signing off on things by yeah. people that are not working for the MVNO. So, you know, Verizon needs to sign off on this or T-Mobile mm-hmm. or AT&T and some other people need to sign off on stuff before that they can actually start to support ESAM. So the infrastructure is not basically being provided to them is what I'm is the impression that I'm getting, uh, which is, you know, disheartening a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure someone will get sued about it in the near future. That's just how it works. There you go. <laughs> oh, so I told you we needed to record today because we talked about not recording because I had a meeting right before Nicholas is going home on Sunday. Uh, but then I realized we actually need to record because I have something interesting I want to talk about. Uh, have you done anything with these DNA? Uh, send us your DNA and we'll tell you more information about you. I haven't because okay. I've been too lazy to research the companies to make sure that they're not going to start trying to clone me somewhere or something. Yeah. Well. Or they don't have the rights to start cloning me. I probably will start getting cloned because I have officially done one of these. Now, let's be transparent. I did not pay for the kit. A family friend paid for it because she was uh, she's doing this ancestry, a lot of history to learn more about where everyone in her life came from. And so... She's Mallory's mom's friend, and so she's starting to do Mallory's mom's ancestry, too. And Mallory and her were at lunch, and she's like, hey, so what's Michael's history? Mallory's like, uh, what do you mean? And long story short, she gave us one of these ancestry DNA kits. And it was a pretty straightforward process so far. I just did it yesterday. All you do is you add uh, saliva until you get to the certain line and you add it to this tube. And of course, Mallory had to help me to know where the line was because I didn't know where the line was. And then uh, you take off the little funnel that you spit into and you add a lid to it. And that adds a stabilizing solution and you shake it up. And then you put the little round container in the pouch and then you throw that into a box and then you ship it back. So right now we're at the ship it back step and I will wrap back around to this because I am intrigued by how are the results presented? Cause you know, I can get all this information, but if the results are not presented in an accessible means, then it kind of doesn't do me any good. And, uh, I mean, it gives the family friend some information that she was looking for to help with mapping out, uh, ancestry and, and doing all that type of stuff, but it doesn't do any good for me. So I wanted to find out if you had had any experience with any of these DNA companies, if you've tried it, if you've been interested in it, because I think, I can't remember the name of the other one that's super big, but yeah. Uh, I, I know the one you speak of, but I don't mm. remember the name of it. Someone's either. yelling at their at their phone right now saying, 
That's the name of it. So yeah, uh, uh, is that the one? Are you thinking of the one that did like an ad on? Was it Twitch? One of the podcasts? Probably. But you haven't really done anything with them yet. No, I haven't. I've been. I, I've thought about it, and like I say, I mean, honestly, seriously, like I haven't just done like the research to see like what my options are, which one might be the better one to go with. I hear that there, there, there are some differences in the way that they obtain uh, your your DNA, and also what they do with it or how they process that information for you. Twenty three and me. Ah, twenty three and me. Yep. And then the one we did was Ancestry's DNA. So uh, they're, they're about 100 bucks to get it done, to, to get the kit. And then the Ancestry website looks fairly accessible. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. So we'll see where that, where that goes and we'll retouch on that. Man, when you said you want to talk about DNA, I was like, what the hell is Mike talking about? Because I was like, you can't be talking about like DNA, like, you know, your 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 DNA as a human DNA. Like, he's, what the hell is Yeah, he we're not going to talk about the um, uh, vaccines and DNA alterations. Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't think that's where you was going either. It's like, I wonder what that's an acronym for. Uh, you know, like DTNS, like DNA, is this a new show? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> More information about that DNA kit is at youronpay.com slash DM68. I might put a Google Fi link in there for Demasi if he still has it by the time we get to publishing show notes, because there really isn't a point in putting a referral link to Google Fi in the show notes if he's not going to. Nah, but if I don't have it, we'll still provide a link over to yes. Google Fi so you can take a look at their plan. So, you know, basically wrapping back around to that too, 20 bucks a month for unlimited talk and text. And data is billed at $10 per gigabyte, up to 60 bucks for data. So the maximum bill you will ever get from them, as they say, will be 80 bucks because uh, they, they they don't cap your data use. I don't know what they exactly do. They have to do something to you besides just, oh, well, you gave us 60 bucks, so we'll just let you ride out for the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, they slow you down at some point. I don't uh, remember where that point is, but yeah. Yeah but they will never bill you beyond $80. Now, if you're looking for a decent phone service alternative, Mint Mobile is out there. I don't know enough about them to recommend them. My experience with Google Fi, the the two times, including this time that I have set it up, is the service is pretty straightforward. It is tied to a Google account. Uh, so it makes me feel a little better. At least that I won't get, you know, my, my account won't be taken over by phishing. Uh, <laughs> shit, you know, look, man, if I make a mistake, I can't get into my Google account. That shit is locked down <laughs> uh, to a very ridiculous point at this uh, at this point now. But the service is actually pretty good. They do offer family plan type setups. I don't know the pricing for that uh, off the top of my head. And they also offer unlimited data for 70 bucks a month so you get unlimited everything talk text data and they do cap you at some point i don't mm-hmm. remember that cap it's either 20 i think it's 20 or 22 or something like, or something that. like yeah. that uh but pretty good they they use either t-mobile or i think sprint which is now t-mobile u.s cellular Ah, U.S. Elder. So they use one of those as their MVNO, just depending on which one gives you the better coverage in the area that you happen to live in. Although it is my understanding that if you're roaming around and let's say I was over in a part of the country where U.S. Cellular was better than T-Mobile, that I could be just switched over to U.S. Cellular's network and and benefit Mm -hmm. from the better coverage that they offer in a particular area. So it's a a reasonable service and Google hasn't killed it yet. So (laughs) not yet. Not yet. Yes, yes. That's, that's the interesting, though. Not that killed I think about it. Dot com. Huh? <laughs> I said killed by Google.com. Yeah, but no, that's not what's interesting. What's so. interesting <laughs> is the eSIM thing. 
right? So Ting apparently can't get it. Mint Mobile can't get it. But Google is basically an MVNO. So how did they get it? Ooh, that is clever thinking. I don't know. Maybe it's because of Google, right? And they got, you know, billions of dollars, whereas, you know, Mint Mobile does not. (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe that's it. Or maybe they threatened to, you know, derank somebody. That would be interesting to find out that Google is going around muscling in on stuff. And they're like, well, look, you know, it'd be a shame if people couldn't Google and find your website, wouldn't it? Mm, full disclaimer we have no knowledge of google doing this no we don't no we do not at all i've I've not seen anything to infer that i don't think they would do it simply because somebody would probably tell on them but it it would just be an interesting story to hear like "Ah, it'd be a shame if you got deranked and no one could google you huh right it'd be a shame if your ad revenue just all of a sudden dropped because you got kicked out of the adsense network huh yeah definitely yeah, but that's what antitrust is actually supposed to stop from happening. That's one of the things that antitrust is supposed to stop. I don't think Google is doing that. I just think that they're better positioned. Uh, and I honestly don't think carriers necessarily see Google as much of a threat as they possibly see something like a thing, even though they're still relying on your network. So I don't understand that, but whatever. Because if, uh, so a company like Ting uh, won't be able to do this, but if let's say the two major carriers that Google uses decide, you know, we don't want you out here anymore. Google's going to, if they really want this, just say, okay, we'll just build our own network. Like that's true. The look at the Google one gig. I think it's up to two gigs now internet service that I wish I had. Like, yeah, man. I really wish I had that. Uh, I, I was so disappointed when they when they didn't continue their rollout, but also kind of understand uh, what happened there. Like basically AT&T and Comcast and Spectrum and Time Warner at the time, which wasn't owned by AT&T, which now it is, which is still a deal that I don't think should have been allowed to happen. <laughs> you know, they, they basically all combined their efforts to make it difficult for any new player to come in, specifically Google, but, you know, they've made it difficult for any new players to come in, but especially Google because Google was offering up under Google Fiber, or was it like a gig down and a gig up? Yeah, something like that. Fiber yeah. for like 70 bucks a month, which is cheaper than what i pay right now to comcast uh for, for substantially megab- less <laughs> for 100 megabits down and something like you know 10 up or something now what in my opinion and this is all opinion based if google had focused on rural areas they may have been able to get higher uh, wider coverage but i don't know how the cost would have been affected by focusing on rural areas versus larger communities where these companies have a huge uh i don't want to use the m word but where where they're really the only choice available in a lot of instances i mean they have a monopoly right let's yeah. just say i'm i'm going to say it if mike doesn't want to <laughs> say it um, and this you know we're going to throw a disclaimer to be this entire show is just our opinions if some facts we'll say it's a fact but this is just yeah. our opinion is true enough. I thought about that, about them, you know, spreading out to rural areas. And I believe the reason that they took the approach that they did is I think it was somewhat cost related, first of all. And the issue that the incumbent Internet providers, you know, kind of threw up the roadblocks that they put in their way was basically like. Internet cables, the lines that, you know, transverse a city that get the internet from point to point, you know, get you where you're trying to go. They are not treated as common carrier lines. 
So what that means is if AT&T goes out and invests, you know, they're going to say something like $16 billion. I'm going to say it's probably like $160 million to uh, lay some fiber. The actual number is probably somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. uh, to, to run fiber in, a, in, a, in, in, let's say, Atlanta, Georgia or something, right? Start laying fiber to upgrade their network. They own that fiber, right? Google yeah. cannot simply come in and say, hey, I want to start an internet. Or no one can come in and say, I just want to start an internet company. You know, I want to use the fiber that's already there by AT&T. Google will have to lay that fiber uh, or anyone else coming in will have to lay that fiber. Right now, they could, you know, theoretically rent access to the same fiber from AT&T. But, you know, there's no real to my knowledge, unless things have changed or have changed, but things were changing and then changed back. So mm. to my knowledge right now, there's no policy in place that says, you know, AT&T, you have to rent these, you know, make these lines available to a, you know, competitor at a competitive rate. There's nothing like that. Whereas the flip side of that, and a very simple one for me to explain to people, uh, if you have gas service uh, where you happen to live, or if you've ever lived somewhere where you had gas service, you'll, you, this will really hit home. When I lived in Atlanta, there were something like 27 different companies that could provide you gas service in the city of Atlanta. Now, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but not hmm. very much. There was a ton, There was a lot more than I ever would have thought there could have been because we had gas in a couple of places. The reason that there are so many is because the gas lines that the, the lines that, you know, move the natural gas around are a common utility, which means no one company can monopolize their their gas lines. So, you know, if I want to start a gas company, I don't have to go, you know, lay the foundation and, and build the infrastructure of, 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 you know, gas pipelines to deliver gas to people's homes. I can just use what's already there. I pay a rate for using said gas lines and then I mm-hmm. bill my customers accordingly to make, you know, make my money, make my profit out of it. So anybody can start a gas company. I mean, consider you have the finances and the you know, right, right. all that stuff, but anybody can start a gas company. Whereas the same rules don't apply to internet cables. And to me, that is one of the biggest problems that we have in the country is the fact that they're not treated as a common utility. So AT&T can say they invested however much money to lay fiber all across the city, but they don't have to give anybody else access to that. So until somebody else has the money to come in and lay the fiber in the same way to cover the same areas that AT&T has, there's not going to be any competition. For Google, the problem wasn't just cost. But it was also restrictions, right? Because what AT&T and Comcast were doing and the other guys were doing is going to the city councils of some of these places where Google wanted to roll out service and say, hey, it would be a terrible thing if they just start tearing up the streets and, and all this shit to lay new fiber, right? Like, we don't really don't want that to happen, do we? It would be terrible. I mean, we're giving people gigabit service. We got fiber service. Why would you want to let them come in and just tear up stuff that's been, you know, done for years? Like, this doesn't make any sense. So they made it difficult. It was made difficult for Google to get the, oh, man, what do they call You know, like the the, the permission, basically. Uh, Yeah, to get the, the support and the permission to lay fiber where they needed to lay fiber in order to actually deliver the service. So a lot of barriers were kind of put up in their way that that, provi- that was going to make it either way more expensive than it was you know, worth to them for a service or just made it impossible, virtually impossible for them to continue to extend that service. Now, 
all of this being said, if you go to your own pay.com slash DM68, we'll have a link to Google Fiber because at first I was under the impression they were no longer offering that service, but it looks like they are still offering it. You can check your address to see if you're in the Google Fiber window or, or area of service. And if you have it, let us know your thoughts because I'm interested to hear from someone who actually uses it. Yeah, man. No, they're still offering it. It's not, they're not adding new locations so wherever yep. they currently offer it they still you know they still offer the package uh, a friend of mine that lives in austin used to have it until they moved to mm-hmm. a different part of the city that doesn't have coverage i was jealous <laughs> i'm not gonna even lie i was jealous like man you sitting there with a gig you know it the real world speeds people were telling he was telling me and i've heard it from other people that have google fiber uh real world speeds they were seeing like 900 and 30 somewhere between 9 to 930 up 930 down like just consistently man no data cap listen no data cap 70 bucks a month it makes and my understanding is is us in the u.s like our our internet infrastructure is there but it's not as robust as it is in other countries that have those type of speeds and that's regular for them to their home they can get those type of speeds and so that's very interesting. Very. We'll we'll see where things go in the future. Man, <laughs> I I personally think unless we the people start to really seriously publicly push back, and I don't mean a couple of people that you know yell on the internet like I do sometimes about it. Like we the people as a whole, like the way that we came together and decided we didn't want Trump to be our president anymore, right? Like we need people to come out and advocate for. I don't want to say protest. It makes me you know. That's a dangerous word to use in this day and age now. <laughs> uh, we want people to advocate for themselves because, listen, man, here's the basic problem, right? First of all, and you would think, again, think about who you – you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to go down that path because I don't want to make it too political. All right. Uh, transition. Hold on. Oh, okay. Oh, hold on. I, I, I want to finish my thought. I'm just not going to take it where I was going to take it. I'll say this so we don't get too political on here so we don't, you know, basically be the dead horse because I think I've had this rant on the show before. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. Consider the fact that when we had to go on lockdown last year when the pandemic first started to spread, you know, first started to have the outbreaks around the country, the issues with our internet infrastructure and the fact that the internet providers had basically been lying to the FCC about where they had coverage and how much coverage they had in particular areas was made abundantly clear. Abundantly clear. There's no way to avoid the truth anymore. Now, the only thing I'll say, and I'll be done with it, is consider who you have as a representative or senator for you, who you have as a representative for your uh, district and who is your senator, who are your senators for your state. Consider who your governors are. Conf- consider who the public figures that are elected to office by you, the people, are and have they attempted to do anything to solve said problem? Because there's no reason a kid should be sitting outside of a Taco Bell to get internet to participate in online schooling because yep. there's a pandemic and we're locked down. Yep. Um, data caps. That's the other thing that I was thinking of. Like, oh, we have to cap your data because our infrastructure can't hold it. But, oh, for a few months, we can just waive that data cap. So why can't you just... Mm. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's artificial. It's artificial <laughs> restrictions, right? It's, it's completely artificial. And again, where are the elected officials to say, wait a minute, you've been telling us this shit for years and we didn't really have a way to know that you was lying, but now we see clearly that you've been lying. Uh, so... 
Uh, loop back. Let's let's transition back into into us talking tech uh, in in a in a clean formed mossy. How do you use loopback specifically right now? Uh man, loopback is it's a so, convoluted software. <laughs> man, it it can be super complicated, but you know it can be super simple too. Yeah. Here here here's I'll say two things. Number one, loopback is software from Rogue Amoeba, which also makes audio hijack, sound source, several other tools. They are the I would say the go to for any audio needs on the Mac especially if you're trying to route audio in different ways. So I started with Loopback. I actually got on Loopback when it first came out because it solved a problem that I had tremendously. Some longtime Mac users that, that you know, had the problem of trying to route audio around will be familiar with things like Soundflower, uh, which is mm. a tool that was used quite a bit. Good old Soundflower. Huh. Yeah, man. Soundflower used to make me mad, though. It used to really make me <laughs> mad. Sometimes you would reboot and just for some reason. Well, you know, I can't really blame it on Soundflower. I think I have to. I don't know where to put the blame. Is it Soundflower or was it Mac OS? Because I feel like if I set a default output for Mac OS, Mac OS should not arbitrarily decide to let something else change that without my permission. But sometimes I would reboot with Soundflower going and my output would be going through a Soundflower device and then I couldn't hear voiceover. <laughs> but Loopback allows you to route audio, create virtual devices for routing audio around your Mac. So a very simple use case, which I've never actually used it for this myself, but it is one of the examples that they give. And I think it is a very simple example. And actually in these times with COVID and social distancing, it actually might be a better use case now. So Loopback lets you create a virtual device. You can add any devices or apps that uh, create sound on your Mac to this virtual device. So a very simple one would be, let's say you create a virtual device that combines your microphone and the music app mm -hmm. and then you select that device as the input for say zoom so now your family has their weekly meeting on zoom you can pipe in some decent music uh that actually sounds good to everybody else because you're not right. trying to play it over your microphone yeah a few other uses are you know for apps like you know again you could do the same thing with something like skype can you so a specific question that I have is, hmm? let's say you have one of these devices that has a headphone jack. I know they're rare nowadays, but let's say you have a device with a headphone jack or an adapter to make that possible. And you're in the scenario that I have, for example, can I grab a cable that has the connector on each end and bring audio from that device with a headphone jack into the Mac, hear it and record it at the same time with loopback. Yes. Huh. Okay. Intriguing. So I have actually done it. Now the way that I actually went about doing that is I have a USB audio card. I think it's the thing. Yeah, it's the thing that they, yep. that, that uh, Woodbridge was talking about that he got from uh, uh, AT Guys. We will ah. drop a link to this device in the show notes because uh, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But all it is is just a little USB device that has a headphone out and a line-in port on it, right? So what I have done in the past is, actually, I did this when we had the episode... We recorded the episode where I brought my iPhone in for something. I don't even remember what it was for. I know what you're talking about. I don't uh activities to to walk through challenging maybe or something. 
I, I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. remember what it was. But yeah, you brought so, it in on its own track in Reaper, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way that yeah. I did that is I plugged in this little USB device and I grabbed a aux cable. I think is what you call them, the ones uh-huh. that have the the headphone, the three point five millimeter jack on each end. Yep. And I used a lightning to headphone adapter or lightning to three point five millimeter adapter. Right. I uh, plugged that. Connected the iPhone to the line in of this little USB dongle device, and I added that device to my uh, virtual mixer and loopback, uh, mapped it to some specific channels uh, so that I could actually have it be on its own track in Reaper. And then also, you know, added its output to a monitor, which is my headphone, so I could hear it. I forget what I did to make Mike be able to hear it while we were recording but yeah i was able to hear it yeah i forget what i did to make that happen i, I thought i should go back and do it again to figure that part out exactly what i did to make because that, that might answer- solve the other problem that you're having with it if you can remember what you did uh no because I, I i took a i took a different route i i, uh, I may okay. have probably done something as goofy as been like hey i'm gonna put this on the uh i, I don't know i probably just added it to like I don't know what I did, but I did not do a thing that would have allowed me to solve the problem that I'm trying to solve with Reaper and uh, disparate apps because I just needed you to be able to hear that. So whatever I did, uh, I think I created just a virtual device called Michael Ears and then I routed my microphone to it and that device and then just selected that as the input for whatever we was recording there. Uh, but to answer your question simply, yes, you can do that. Uh, mm. I have not had much luck using the headphone jack on a Mac, even though they're supposed to be, they're supposed to serve, serve <laughs> double duty, uh, yeah. one, you know, for headphone output and for line in. I've never gotten line in to consistently work uh, mm. in that case. So that's why I bought this USB little USB does, device. <laughs> yeah, USB works perfectly. Uh, that's why I bought this little device was, was for that purpose. Okay. Another thing you can do with an Apple device, uh, barring an Apple Watch, is connect it to your Mac uh, over USB with a lightning cable or USB-C if you have a new newer mm-hmm. iPad as USB-C. Actually, I'm going to leave. I can't verify this for the iPads with USB-C, but with a lightning to USB cable plugged into a Mac, I know for certain this works because I do it all the time. I'm doing it right now, actually. Plug it in, and now your device is connected to your computer, provided you have given it permission to see your device and all of that. Go to the Audio MIDI setup device, uh, Audio MIDI app. And your mm-hmm. phone will show up as a device in that list of devices in Audio MIDI setup. You turn it on or activate it or whatever the actual words say there. And you now have the ability for your phone's audio or iOS device's audio to be brought into the Mac. Again, I grab loopback and just add that as a device and then, you know, route it to my headphones and now I can hear it. Ah, okay. The only problem with that approach, and here's the reason why... Because somebody's probably, well, if you can do that, why the hell did you go buy a USB thing? Mm-hmm. Several reasons why I bought the USB thing. Hmm. But hmm. the thing that actually made me go buy the USB thing when I bought the USB uh, external sound card was the fact that for some reason, and it seems to change based on the version of iOS that you're using, it used to be that all audio from your phone would come into your Mac through Audio MIDI if you went in and did this. Now, sometimes I can get audio that I'm playing, like a podcast or audio book or something or music to come in but voiceover still comes out of the external speaker of the device <laughs> and then sometimes voiceover comes in i think it was iOS 14.2 iOS was vo- voiceover was coming right in through too i was like oh man this is great then 14.3 happened and it doesn't work anymore so having this this usb sound card 
guarantees that all the audio that goes through the headphone will be able to come into the computer. So exactly. That, that makes perfect sense. The other thing I did, because I remember solving this problem for, do you remember Matt, Matt Carrillo? Yeah, so I solved this problem for Matt Carrillo when he was trying to do uh, some tutorials on the Apple Watch. I had, already had a US, nope, a Bluetooth dongle that Ooh. basically would let you take a pair of headphones and make any pair of wired headphones into a Bluetooth device because it's just a Bluetooth receiver and then you plug something into it. So I used that to uh, connect to the watch. So I connected, you know, paired the watch with this device and then used again an aux cable to go into the uh, USB uh, <laughs> sound card so that now I can hear the Apple Watch. Uh, ah, that is clever thinking. I like it. On the phone and also be able to record the Apple Watch audio. Now, does not do a damn thing if I want to do a screen grab of the Apple Watch. I still don't know that that's a thing that's possible. But for doing a tutorial or, and I think that's actually what I was doing uh, during that show that we recorded, I was actually on the Apple Watch. Yeah. Bringing that audio in so that, you know, people could hear either me challenging you yeah, or you were challenging the me. results, one or the other. You know, so, so for doing audio tutorials or just letting someone hear what's coming from your watch, that will most certainly work. Now, the convoluted process to make a video out of that is, of course, you could turn off screen curtain. Don't forget to turn off screen curtain because one day I was super proud of something and I sent Mallory a screenshot of it from my Apple Watch and she's like, it's a black box. <laughs> welcome to my life <laughs> <laughs> but you can always take screenshots and apply those to where the sound is and it, it is convoluted but it is something uh, that can be done yeah, that, that is kind of, I have done that though uh, yeah. and yep. what Mike is meaning is like let's say so what I was trying to do was send a uh, recording of what voiceover was telling me versus <laughs> what was on the screen of my watch yeah. So I took a screenshot of the screen of the watch and then I recorded audio using the same method that I just explained to record the voiceover audio so the developer could hear what was going on. And then yeah. I took, I can't remember exactly how I did this step, but I basically took that image and made that, that static screenshot, the uh, visual for a video file. And was that the iMovie? Audio audio. I did not use iMovie. I Man, think I, I haven't used, used that app in forever. <laughs> I think I used iClip, ah. uh, which is an app that Amanda Hill told me about that let her do something similar or do a similar thing where she wanted to create some static images for to make a video file out of some audio. Hmm. And as Mike said, if you had multiple screenshots, you could just you know drop those in where they need to go. Uh, I will link to iClip. Yeah, iClip could be a solution to a problem we were trying to solve the other day, actually, for Instagram. I didn't even think about that. Huh. I didn't either because I was trying to think. Well, so the reason I didn't think about it, though, is because I always, I, I don't know what your capabilities are from the browser with Instagram. Right, but you can airdrop to your phone. Yeah, man, but if I'm going to go through all that, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Might as well do a shortcut and yeah. Yeah, that, that makes it. But you are right in the fact that, hey, I could record some super high quality audio from my computer. Right. Grab a couple of images and make those a static thing and then put them in it. I might just put them in an iCloud folder and then just, you know, yank them in or whatever, do whatever I need to do to mm. get them up to Instagram. Because, I mean, my thing is not going to be a consistent everyday no. thing with Instagram either. The right. shortcut was just an interesting idea. Plus, I was thinking, oh, I got to do it on the phone anyway. 
And I wonder if someone's already made that shortcut. I haven't looked yet, but I'm sure. Uh, you know, I should actually check. I was playing with shortcuts over the weekend uh, and, and built a couple of things. I've been I trying need to, to play with this which... Toolbox Pro more. Yeah, I have it on my phone now. I think I do. Yeah, I do. I haven't built any new shortcuts that are using it. Because yeah. what I've been trying to figure out is which shortcuts run on the, which shortcuts can I consistently run from the watch and which ones ah. are not going to work. So let's touch upon that real quick for the last 10-ish minutes of this. How has your experience, last time we recorded, you had had the watch for about 30 minutes. Now you've been on the watch six for a week or so now. So how, how has your experience been and what are you doing with your three uh, right now or do you know? Like, are you still, let me rephrase that. What are you doing with your three? Are you still using it? Do you still fall back to it for, for being comfortable or are you fully on the six? I have been fully on the six from the time that I put it on. I don't think I'll put the, the series three ah. back on at all. <laughs> okay. I occasionally pick up the series three and look at it because I really need to get a new band for the six. Do the bands for the three not fit the six? No, because oh. they're different okay. sizes. Okay. Yeah, if I if I had a thirty eight millimeter three, then the band uh, would work for the forty millimeter six. But because I went from a forty two millimeter watch down to what is technically the smaller size watch, the band and I tried it. I, I stuck it on just to see what would happen. Okay. Yeah, the band kind of you know the little lugs on the band kind of stick out both sides of the watch <laughs> a little bit. It looks very that makes crazy. sense. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've been full time on the six. I like it. Like I, I don't have. I mean, I have a couple of complaints. Occasionally, I'll tap my screen and it won't wake up like instantly, like I think mm-hmm. it should. Oh, back to circle back to a thing that we were trying to figure out at one point with taptic time. So I've noticed with my six at least, if I tap the screen twice but do it kind of slowly, like so yes. with a little bit of a pause, it yep. will consistently do the taptic time. Yeah. So what I too, what I, I, and I did neglect to share this with you, but I was doing it this morning and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. So if you tap, so I do tap, tap, uh, like that. And that consistently gets me the time in a taptic form. Now, what I have noticed that's different and you know, maybe it's just different, but what I have noticed that is a difference between taptic time. And that may have actually worked on the three, two. I didn't discover it into the six. What I have noticed different about taptic time on the six compared to the three is that depending on the time of day, like what the actual hours and minutes are trying to spell out, it doesn't seem to do such a long, as long of a buzz. There's not as much of a distinction between the long buzzes and the short buzzes, short vibrations as I remember, as I noted there being with the three. So. I have kind of noticed that, but I assumed it was because I went into the watch and sped up the taptic time because that drove me crazy. When I discovered that feature, I jumped it right up to a hundred percent. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Like if you, cause you sped yours up too, didn't you? Yeah, but I've always had my set at the same yeah. rate. Ah, I, okay. I did think about that. And that's why I said like, that may be one thing to try is, is maybe dialing it down a notch on the six to see if it makes a difference. Uh, right. But I set it at the same speed that I had it set for on the series three. Cause yeah, it drove me nuts when I first discovered tap the time. <laughs> like one, 10, yeah. 20, 30, one, two, it's like god damn it man i could have been on looked at the watch and by the time someone asked you what what time it is you're like hold on let me see keep holding on hold 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 on on. (laughs) oh shit i lost count (laughs) 
It's either 137 or 138. I, I don't know. Right, right. I Close enough. <laughs> it's past 130. <laughs> uh, yeah, so speeding it up definitely made a made a big difference. But other than that, like I, I am extremely satisfied. Like the speed of it is the thing that I have noticed the most. It is God. it is much faster. And unlike Mike, like and unlike Michael's experience, Mike had a series three four Wyo and then he was off of the Apple Watch because he was using Android. And then he came back to the Apple Watch with the six. So his experience is he probably vaguely, I, I'm guessing you probably vaguely, I'm going to stop yep. talking about you like you're not actually right here. <laughs> he probably <laughs> vaguely remembers the three and how it worked. But this was also a different time, right? Like the phones were slower. Everything was, you know, different. My experience is coming from one day I'm using a Series 3, the next day I'm using a Series 6. And it's like, holy shit, this is fast. Like this is, the response time is just spectacular for just about everything. Like I haven't noticed any sort of even opening apps, which was a lot of times the things that seem to take a long time with the series three is like they, they open much faster. I can, you know, mm. view carrot data like almost instantly. And I'm also happy about the new faces. I still haven't settled on what I want on my infograph face. And I am still slightly annoyed about the infograph face that I can touch the corners and see what those complications are, but the little sub dials on there, I have to flick mm. that that's still slightly annoying to me. So if someone knows how to do it better, let us know. And Michael needs to actually call Apple accessibility. Cause I talked about doing it the other day, but I never got around to it cause I got distracted. Like, which is what happens to me all the time. So a friend of mine has the, uh, he just got the series six, but he was a, series four owner mm. so he's he's lived with the infograph face for like yeah. the past two years and you know i called him and asked him right after I, and this is funny because i told you like well mark i think the only way to do it is just flick so like touch the corners and figure out where you go when you flick right <laughs> and then you right. know just use the corners to get to where you want to go with the sub dials then i called him i said hey man i just got this infograph face set up right it's got these little sub dials how do i just get straight to the sub dial and he's like you got to flick I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I just told Mike that shit, but I was like, well, shit, maybe I should call and ask you to see if there's a difference. Also, he has the bigger watch. He has the 44 millimeter. He's been a 44, mm. you know, big watch user. So I was like, well, that might be a reason to send mine back if you tell him, well, I mean, I'll just touch it right there in the middle, right there between right. the two. And it's like right yeah. there. It's like, oh, well, this that shit would make go a big back difference. right now. Uh, <laughs> right now. So you're, you're, you're comfortable with the 40? Yeah. Yeah, like the battery life has been good. This shit charges super fast. I know you told right? me that. I know you told me this. Man, you have to experience. This is one of those things, people, where someone can tell you something and you hear what they say and you have an idea of what they're talking about. But until you experience it, you will not really know. Mike told me, oh, it charges up fast. It's like, okay. But, you know, my watch power charges slow as shit because it's old. I dropped my, literally, I got up one morning and the watch was at like 48%, right? Mm. I took it off, dropped it on the charger when it made coffee. Now, I don't have a fancy coffee machine. I have a, I guess it's a drip, you know, where you yep. just pour the water in, you put the little filter in, you put your coffee grounds in, then you turn it on, and then you wait and for you it. You make sure the done. pot's there because it doesn't have a little detector to not drip if the pot's there. Oh, yeah, so see, mine ain't even that fancy. I'm pretty sure if the pot was not there, I would just end up with coffee everywhere. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I'm the detector. I'm like, let me make sure. But I always know that the pot is there because I actually use the pot, like I rinse the pot out and I to actually use the pot the to fill it up with the water. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, you know, that that 
that seems clever, but I'm going to tell you people the reason that I actually did that is because one time uh, I took the pot out and washed it and forgot that I had washed it. So I went in and poured the water in with a cup and set everything up and started the pot. And then we had a problem. And this is back when I had a Mr. Coffee. So it had buttons. So like there was not just a switch to say, hey, turn it off. Like just flick a switch and it's off. It's like, oh, shit, which one of these buttons stops it? <laughs> I've never had to stop it before. Yeah, never had to stop it in the middle of making coffee. Like, how do I do this? I I don't know. Unplug that shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go in and I'm, I'm I start a pot of coffee. The coffee is brewing. The coffee is brewing. When the coffee gets like, wow, that's happening. I go and like wash my face, brush my teeth, do all those you know morning things or whatever. Come back. I pour my first cup of coffee and then I take my phone out and I look at my phone and I check the time. I mean, check the battery level of the watch and the watch is at like 85%. Yeah. And I was like, shit, well, let me go get it first of all and put it on because uh, this is awesome. Shit, it charges fast. <laughs> so yeah, I, I am happy with the six, with the uh, smaller size. Occasionally mm-hmm. I look at it and like I, I can tell that it's smaller. Like I am aware of the fact that it is smaller than the previous watch, but there's not anything that I miss about the bigger watch. It's like, oh, I, I need to change. Yeah. So now I'm at the point that I have to go look for a band because the band that I got with this particular watch, because I ordered mine from T Mobile. So I don't think I had a bunch of choices about the band anyway, but I got the floral elastomer you know the, the the original watch band that they they first started out with with the little little holes that you yep. line up and yeah so that one right it's a nice band like generally speaking about a a a sporty type of band for a watch it is a decent watch band i can't wear it because it holds the watch too it's either too close or too loose and if I hold it too close to my skin for too long, like I end up with like some little kind of, you know, irritation, skin irritation happening. Right. The band I was using on the Series 3 watch that I was wearing was a knockoff, Melanese Loop. Ah, okay. So that's Apple's metal band with the magnet closure. So it kind of loops around and then you can pull it tight or loosen it and then it has a magnet to hold it in place. Huh probably going to go and try to find another one of those because this one actually worked pretty good the only look it doesn't look like apples it doesn't come in gold if it does come in gold it probably looks like it's fake gold because it probably is Mm -hmm. but the only honest downside or negative i have to say about it is that outside of it doesn't feel as nice as apples because i have seen apples uh is that it has a magnet on both sides of the class so the class the part that sticks to the band to hold it in place has a magnet on it of course but the magnet is also on the other side too Ah. So occasionally, if I'm not careful, I will stick myself to the refrigerator or something, which would be slightly <laughs> you know, hilarious, just a little bit. Apple's does not have that problem because uh, the magnet is does not extend through both sides of the, of the little thing or whatever. But Apple's also cost like maybe a hundred bucks now, I think is what my friend just told me because he got this band. It's like it's like a hundred dollars. I'm like, oh, it's cheaper than what it used to be. It used to be two hundred dollars. I don't really want to spend that much for a watch, man. Now, I did just Google it, and I'm going to put a link to this because I don't know if it's actually the Apple Watch, but it says Milanese Apple Loop, stainless steel, gold, luxury, series four through six for 40 millimeter at 30 bucks from Parkville Supplies. Where the hell is Parkville Supplies? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't link to it. <laughs> no, well, you should send me a link to it, and then we'll see if it's real. Because if will it's send thirty bucks, I it. will go buy it right now, and I will we'll put it in the show notes. If it's in the show notes, it was a good deal, and it worked. Yeah. If it's not in the show notes, don't even search for it. 
The one directly from Apple is a hundred dollars though. That one came up as number two. So, huh? I thirty bucks is a little bit more than what I spent for the one I had on the Series Three, but not too much more. Right, probably like ten bucks, twelve bucks more than what I spent for it. Are you using? I know we were going to wrap it up, and we'll wrap it up here in a minute. We promised you guys. But are you using Mojave or or no? What operating system do you have on the Mac? Catalina. Okay. And that's not the one I have. What do I have right now? Big Sur. Yes, that's right. I'm not sure if I like it or not. Got mixed feelings about it. And it could be. So for those who don't know, I have been using the Mac a lot more, uh, especially with the boys being back in school. Uh, both of them are actually going to school. Andrew's going twice a day, twice a week. Uh, all right, let me get my boy straight. Andrew's going twice a week. Benjamin is going four times a week. Andrew has to take a computer with him to school. He's the freshman in high school. So he's taking a Windows computer to school. So I've been on the Mac a lot more, and I'm getting more comfortable with it slowly and surely. And I think it helps that I'm using a Bluetooth keyboard on my iPhone and getting familiar with that too. But every like, there's little quirks here. Sometimes the Mac will just go play the little notification sound, even though there's no notification. Sometimes notifications pop up and take over everything. Like it's convoluted. My honest thoughts are that I'm going to wipe. This Mac, I've talked about it a few times, but I need to make sure other people don't have stuff on it before I do it. Because if it was just up to me, all my stuff that I need is in Google Drive or iCloud, mainly Google Drive. But uh, what I'm going to do eventually is wipe this and start from scratch and set it up as a brand new Mac to see if that makes my experience better. But like some little things, like today I was just looking for Demasi's uh, chat in Messages, and when I pressed VO space on his chat, because if I just use VO up and down arrow in the table and I highlight him, it does not actually move focus. The edit box does not move focus oh, to Demasi's message. Son of a bitch. Yeah, it goes to the last person, and I learned that really fast. So when I press VO space, what it was doing for a while is it would say, Demasi Thomas, selected. And then I knew that by looking at the chat transcript that the edit box matched up with Demasi's uh, message thread. But now when I press VO space, it pops up that action. And it, I got to play around with it. But it pops up that actions dialog where I could pin your message or delete your message or open message in new window. And so I have to open your message in a new window, paste in what I was going to send you. Then I hit command W to close that window so I don't have have too many messages windows open and it just started doing this today so it could uh, side note be something i was doing wrong but it, it's one of those instances where i really want to just wipe this and see if it's maybe a setting that that i had set a like a year or two ago when i was on the mac regularly that's not changed or something if that makes any sense what i'm trying to say yeah it does because I, I i wonder that sometimes about uh my man and look sometimes shit just weird shit just happens right like it it, it just and, and especially when you're upgrading and depending on the level of annoyance determines whether or not you actually do something about it right like i still i have this occasional problem where i will open system preferences on the mac and my process for opening system preferences tends to go like this command space there's launch bar i type sp and there's system preferences. If I know exactly the preference plane I'm going to, and I know it should be in the list because I kind of call down what 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 shows up in launch bar for system preferences because I don't routinely use all of them, I will hit the space bar, which then gives me a list of system preference panes, and I will type, you know, SE for security and privacy or whatever. Hit return. Opens mm -hmm. up system preferences right to that pane. 
Oftentimes, if I do not have Safari open at all, a Safari will get launched in the background after system Ooh. preferences opens, which Why? is a pain in the ass because <laughs> there are very many times that I have closed Safari. Like right now, Safari is not open, right? Because I'm in yeah. Chrome and I have like mm, probably all told through the five windows that are open in Safari, mm, probably something like 47 tabs or something. Yeah, I so, believe it. I don't need it open because I'm not using it anyway. If I'm going to Google something or search for something or do anything in, in the you browser, I'm going to do it in Chrome anyway. Oh, yeah. Because I'm already in Chrome for Source Connect. Also, if I open up System Preferences and now you want to launch Safari and it's got like 47 tabs, it has to load up in the background or something like that takes a long time, man. I have not wiped my computer yet because I honestly have not had the time to do it like that. That does, it, for me, is going to require some time because I right. need to make sure I get everything set back up. But there's enough weirdness going on that wiping and reinstalling from scratch for me is going to have to be a thing that I do simply because I need to be certain that this is just weird software issues because Demasi probably did something weird to a configuration file or he used mm -hmm. Homebrew to install all these apps instead of just downloading the apps directly from the developer website or whatever. And it's caused some weird issues versus what I am afraid may be going on, which is that my, uh, whatchamacallit is going bad. My motherboard. Logic is going, board? Yeah, logic board is going bad because I now That's get sad. random internet disconnections. Like I, if I reboot the Mac, right? Now, my internet connection is usually primarily all of the time a thunderbolt to the ethernet adapter and then an mm -hmm. ethernet cable plugged into that i would say for about the past three weeks every time i reboot my computer when it first boots up all these apps start telling me i can't access the network i can't access the internet right and that mm -hmm. happens for about five minutes or so sometimes i have to disconnect the adapter and replug it in could be the adapter going bad too also but I don't know. I've yeah. had I've had them fail before. This is like my at least my second one. It could be my third one. Do you not have Wi-Fi on that on board? I do have Wi-Fi on board. I just tend not to have it on. Ah, well, okay. I take that back. It is on because I use AirDrop all the time. It's not right. connected. Is yeah. what it's not right now. Most likely, I'm going to flip over to Wi-Fi uh, at some point. So my process for solving the problems are going to be one. Disconnect this Ethernet adapter and just start using Wi-Fi for a bit and see how, to, how how that goes and see if I experience the same problems. If I don't, then I can kind of stop feeling so nervous thinking it's a logic board issue because if it Although stops- Although it could be a logic board issue with the Thunderbolt port. Yeah, the Thunderbolt port could be going bad, but if the Thunderbolt port is screwed up, that's one thing versus, yeah. you know, the logic board is affecting the system also. Or it could also, but if I disconnect and don't have any internet connectivity problems, my first thing would be, let me go drop 30 bucks on another one of these fucking adapters. Because mm -hmm. I know for certain this is not the first one of that, because the first one I originally bought, I just chalked it up to it got damaged when we were moving, uh, was ah. my thing that may not have been what happened though but i would buy one of these because 30 bucks is a hell of a lot cheaper than a new computer which is what i would have to do but a new computer might possibly potentially equal a mac mini i mean you know look any new computer right now would have to be a mac well if i had to buy it today like if this shit just shut off and wouldn't come <laughs> today i don't know what the hell i would do i would probably have to go spelunking through ebay yeah, good old eBay. <laughs> you know, over the next couple of months, I hope to, you know, put aside the money to purchase a Mac Mini because that is honestly what I would like to do. 
I would like not to be forced into a purchase is, is what I'm trying yeah. to, the problem I'm trying to solve for though, because I really don't want to have to, even if I have the money to just go buy the Mac mini like right now, like I don't want to be forced into that purchase because well, I would honestly like to wait to at least get through the spring release of Apple. Yeah. You know, I don't I think I'm going to wait until the fall to <laughs> see if they possibly, you know, release a desktop machine that I actually want to buy like an upgraded Mac mini with four ports instead of two. Cause I can honestly get by with two. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed, and and this is going to drive my decision. Now that I have three days off, though, I can spend some time doing this. But uh, my keyboard commander, too, has recently stopped working. Even though keyboard commander's on, right option M doesn't, it it puts a mu sign. Like, uh, yeah, it does not open the mail app or right option S does not open the Safari app and I can't get my time without going up to the menu bar. So, uh, notice that this morning. It doesn't work anywhere. Yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. Okay. Cause I was gonna say there, there are a couple of apps that are weird where you hit the right option key and your keyboard commander. Yeah. It does whatever that, that, that keyboard Nope. key combination would actually type but it's a, it's a few weird apps uh, and i've tried restarting voiceover i will try restarting the mac when we get done recording and see if that fixes it which could but it's every little thing that adds up that makes me be like mm, maybe it's time <laughs> yeah like that's the thing it's like it's it's not one colossal problem right it's little nibbly things that cause issues like oh i turn the computer i reboot the computer and because i rebooted before we got ready to record because i was like i've been up for at least a week if not more and i probably need to re reboot there's also been updates to audio hijacks since then and all that so let's reboot and so i did that and the first thing i get is sync Sync cannot connect to the network. It's like, what the fuck do you like? But this happens every fucking time, right? But then eventually it sorts itself out. Like I didn't have to disconnect the cable or anything before we got on Source Connect. I just walked away and went and, you know, drunk some water and used the bathroom and came back and sat down and start setting up stuff and it was fine. Mm-hmm. But this has never been a problem before, right? And I'm still on Catalina. So like I, I have not, I, I have whatever the latest version of Catalina is. I have all the software updates installed, all of this stuff. And it's like all of a sudden, nothing has changed significantly about my setup over the past two months, three months, right? Hence the reason I did not go to Big Sur. Nothing has changed about the setup. Like I haven't installed any new crazy app. I haven't, uh, you know, all of a sudden start doing something different or changed my changed anything uh the only thing that has changed is you know i I swapped out network hardware but you know i didn't have these problems in december either so Mm. i can't blame you know i'm not even looking at the google wi-fi as being the problem because i'm not having this problem with any other devices either yeah so i don't know man it's a lot of little nitty things though i don't want to have to go buy a mac mini because if i have to go buy the mac mini because like i don't have a choice but i need to get a new computer uh most likely i'm not going to end up with the mac mini or i'm not going to end up with the computer that i want if i'm forced into going to buy a computer yeah that makes sense uh so let's sum this up by i was just checking in on it because it's like my little pet i named the pie cake so now when i log (laughs) in it, it says uh Oh, I'm sorry. I named it raspy cake instead of pie. And so when I log in, it says raspy cake ready or whatever. And it's been up and running for six days solid. I sometimes forget that it's even there. And I just ran app, get upgrade, app, get app, get update, app, get, you know what I'm saying? App, get update, app, get upgrade. And uh, we're all up to date and everything. And right now the system load, 
uptime is 0 0.11, 0 0.06, 0 0.02. Uh, so, you know, it, it just runs in the background and, and I'm excited about it. Demosthenes and I were talking about it earlier today and this thing is going to reproduce pretty quickly uh, because projects just keep coming up that I want to do with this. And so, yeah, it's running stably. It's also Slight not doing anything. word of advice for the future. Yes. If you're recording a podcast, don't run app get upgrade on a device that is running your DNS server. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> good piece of advice. <laughs> oh, good piece of advice. Huh. Huh. Didn't even think about that. Hmm. So I was like, wait a minute, no, Mike, note. don't do it. And he was like, I already did it. It's like, oh, oh, well, fortunately, there was no update needed, so we didn't have a problem. But. There was one update that it did, but it didn't impact the network connection at all, I assume. Because, yeah. I'm still here. And it, it wasn't one that said, we need to reboot. Although, it's nice that you don't get those too often with Linux. Yeah, that, that is true. You don't get very many of those on Linux. Uh, I could do... How... All right, so I'm going to ask your question, your your thoughts, and we can either wrap it up or you can answer it if we can do it in less than five minutes or so. How do you... If I wanted to not type in 192.168.8... Or 4.83 and just type in, like, cake.py or something, is there a way to easily set that up on the Mac? Um... You, I think it's in the host file, but I'm not sure. You can set that up on the Mac. You can use the host file to say that, you know, cake.home equals, yep. you know, whatever. Yeah, you could do that in the host file. You may be able to. No, I don't think you can do that from the Mac. So, yeah, you can do it in the host file. Pi-hole might be able to get I was going to say, like, you probably it. could do it with the Pi also to set, like, just because what I used to do on back in the days of DDWRT and when you could actually, you know, fiddle with your router a little bit is I would always set up a home, a, a network domain, right? So instead of me having to type in, you know, to get to my Mac, for example, instead of typing, you know, whatever the hell this is called, what are you called now? Old school. Instead of me typing old school dot local, I would type old school dot home or old school dot. Mm you know, family or something. And that would take me to the different devices that has to be done on the network level. So you could possibly either do it with Pi-hole directly or by installing a package on the Raspberry Pi that would run alongside that, that would allow you to kind of map an internal network. So then you wouldn't have to do anything to any, any device mm, anywhere. Mm. Except just, you know, know what its actual name of the device is, right? So like yeah. Michael's iPhone, like you can't really connect to your iPhone over the network, but you could ping it, you know, ping Michael's iPhone. Make sure dot... it's connected or whatever, but yeah. yeah. Okay, makes sense. And then I could go to the printer because every once in a while, I like to check for updates on our brother printer and there are updates more often than you would think. Mm, Which is good. My brother printer on the net. Actually, I need to figure out why my brother is not printing. Huh. Yeah, that, that would be ink. important to know. Yeah, because I bought new ink. I didn't replace all of the ink cartridges, though, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the issue because the two of them still had ink in them. They could be gunked up, but I feel like if you're going to print a page out, period, and I'm just trying to print in black and white, like, you know, it shouldn't matter if the red is empty or whatever. Yeah, shouldn't it? I'm not sure. Might be worth connecting it to the network and checking for updates. Hmm, that might be a thing I need to do. 
So. Except this one has to go on Wi-Fi because it doesn't have Ethernet, which means somebody got to sit here with this little That drives screen. me crazy. Ours yeah, doesn't have Ethernet in. either, and it has to connect to the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi network, and it's like, really? Yeah. Maybe time for a new printer. But I don't want to So on that note, if anyone wants to buy Demasi a new printer, he can be reached on Twitter at Demasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E. I'm on Twitter at Payon, P-A-Y-O-W-N. And show notes for this episode can be found, let's see if he remembers, at... Yourownpay.com slash DM68. We'll be back soon. You've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content and to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast, yourownpay.com.